Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, if you're just joining with us for the very first time, we welcome you today. And uh, we're wrapping up a a three-part series entitled Love God, Love Family, and Love Enemy. And today we're going to get into the good stuff because we're going to talk about that topic, about what it truly means to love anybody. But if you're, if you're here new, I just want to recap the last couple of weeks. Just remind everybody, again, um, I just challenge you. Every week that you come in here and as we praise God and as we listen to his word, um, you know, again, it, I, I just pray that as you leave here, you try to take those one applicable steps, those one main point to apply to your lives. Every week in my life, I just try to say, all right, God, I'm going to try to get better every week. I'm going to get better in every area of my life. I'm going to try and do it better. As a man, as a husband, as a father, I'm going to try and do my best. Um, In week one, we talked about what it means to love God. And so here's the great news. If you're here for the very first time, I can tell you the synopsis of that message very clearly. If you have doubts, if you have questions, if you think God's mad at you, and if you're running from God and you haven't talked to God in a long time, the answer to what does it mean to love God, ask questions. Engage him in a conversation. The way that you can love God is by having that relationship with him on a daily basis. Whether you think he's mad at you or not, the thing that God wants every single day is for us to engage him with questions and conversations. So if you want to love God this week, start talking to him. That's, that's what we talked specifically about a couple weeks ago. Last week, you saw my passion side come out. Some of you are like, you're passionate every week. No, you really saw my passion side come out last week as we talked about what it means to love family. And I shared some startling statistics um, about how kids growing up in church, um, seven or eight out of 10 kids who grew up in the church, um, leave and go away to college and stop going to church. And uh, I admitted in front of everybody that we as leadership and we as pastors in the church, we failed because if 30% of our kids are continuing to understand what it means to be the church, um, that's not good. And so the way that we change that, we said what happens at home is far more important than what happens at church. And we challenged every mom, every dad, every grandparent, the church, what it means to truly love the family is every single week to engage the family, to partner with the church in the spiritual growth of family. And so um, if you're a parent and you missed last week's message, I just want you to go back online and watch it because I I promise you it will really be eye-opening for you. And today we're going to talk about what it means to truly love your enemy. Now, I'm going to be honest. If you're a type A personality and you got the note sheets, um, there's a couple of blanks that I'm not going to fill today. And let me tell you why. Um, As it happens in my life from time to time, I will uh, go through my week and I'll have messages planned out and I will work all week long on on all different kinds of aspects of it. And I got to a little bit later on Thursday and Friday and I really felt God speaking to me. Yes, God does talk to me from time to time, maybe not audibly, but he does speak to me. And um, uh, I remember him going through the notes of the message and him saying, no, 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 that's not good. No, 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 no. You need to change this. And I'm like, yeah, God, it's indigestion. It's not you. So I'm just going to force through it. Uh, And I got to Saturday night last night and I ended up rewriting a a third of the message and this morning even wrestling with it. So I'm wrestling with God in this, um, which means that he's a part of it. And that's a good thing. And so if you're here today, um, we're going to go ahead and let me help our type A's and tell you where we're going. Um, If you want the answer to what does God have to say about loving your enemies, I'm going to give that right up front. So you can take a nap for the next 20 minutes after that. You can sleep um, because you'll get your answer right up front. But if you hang with me, I'm going to show you something, hopefully, from biblical culture that will change the way in which you see what Jesus has to say about loving your enemy. It will hopefully change the way that you view your enemy and that you view other people if you just hang with me. 
So to launch off with this, let me make a statement. I want you to write it down. We're going to come back to it toward the end. And so let me pique your interest. So write this down if you're taking notes. If you love your enemy, you might gain an enemy. If you love your enemy, you might gain an enemy. So write that down. And hopefully, if I can get out of God's way, I can hopefully lead you to really understanding through the scriptures we're going to tackle of what that truly represents and truly means. So let me set the stage as we jump to this first passage of scripture. Um, If you don't know the Bible much, Jesus, he had what was called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's at the Sea of Galilee. And if you ever wonder why Jesus hung out at the Sea of Galilee, it is one of the most beautiful places. Later on this year, we're taking a group to Israel. You will stand right near where Jesus used to teach. And actually, this passage I'm showing you, this is exactly where he taught this passage. It's incredible. The acoustics are amazing. Um, it was an incredible time. And he pivots after sharing a lot of information and he's, and he's going to make a statement with regards to enemy. But before I show it to you, let me ask you a question. What is your enemy? What is your enemy? And when you think about that, many of you thought of a person right off the bat and get ready. You're going to have a lot of fun with this message. But when you think from God's perspective, because Jesus was the son of God, he is God. And so who is Jesus talking about when he talks about his enemy? And if you really think about it, when Jesus thinks of the enemy, the greatest enemy to God is death, is sin. Because sin leads to the temporal, leads to death, it leads to the enemy, which in the church we call Satan. Um, Sin separates us from God. And so the ultimate enemy of God is sin or sinful behavior. So when Jesus is speaking, in his mind, I have to imagine as he talks about enemy, that's on his heart. So as we read this passage, we're going to jump in. I hope you hang on tight. But for those of you who wonder, what does Jesus have to say when it comes to loving your enemy? Let's go right there and let me show you what he says. Take a look at this. This is verse 27 out of Luke chapter 6 in the Bible New Testament. Here we go. But to you who are willing to listen, I say this. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek... Offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try and get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Many of us have a hard time with that passage because that's so countercultural to humanity. Many times we look and say, if someone does something wrong to me, I'm going to get them back. Or if someone does something wrong for me, I'm just going to wipe the dust off my feet and I'm just going to leave them in the dust. And Jesus does a, a full turnaround here and he challenges us with a new way of loving our enemy. What is Jesus really doing? Let me show this to you. And if you're a Christian in this room, you understand. I believe just by a lot of study, what Jesus was doing in this passage was showing what he was doing for Terry. If you really think about it, all of us in this room, guess what? We have one thing in common. We're all going to die and we also have sin. We all have that. If you don't think that you sinned today, guess what? You probably sinned about 27 times before you even walked into this room. It's not just what you do with your actions. It's what you do with your mind as well. And so we have sin and it separates us from God and and God hates sin. And what he was trying to show me as I read that passage is, Terry, the enemy to me is sin. And guess what, Terry? You have sin. So I'm going to show you how I treat you, Terry. I'm going to show you exactly how much I love you. So if you ever wanted to know how much God loves all of us, take a look at this list. This came from the passage we just read. There are seven things that I believe God did for you and I and how he loves his enemy. Take a look at this. He says, Terry, I loved you. I love you every day. Even though you make dumb mistakes, Terry, I still love you every day. Terry, I do good for your life. 
There are many times I watch out for you. I allow my Holy Spirit to warn you. When you're about to step into something, I warn you. I'm constantly doing good for you, even though you constantly want to do wrong, Terry, because you are sinful. Terry, I bless your life. Could you imagine moms and dads, if your kids constantly do the wrong thing every single day, do you want to bless them at that moment? But yet God blesses us, even as his kids, even though we do something wrong almost every single day. Here's the thing I love. And Terry, guess what? Like we talked about two weeks ago, I want you to pray. Because I pray for you. Because what is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. God desires more than anything a day-to-day open line of communication and relationship with us and says, Terry, I pray for you. I want to talk to you. And so I love you so much, even though you're my enemy at times because you have sin, I want to communicate with you. And Terry, guess what? I don't retaliate. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine if God retaliated against us for all the bad things we did to him? Oh, we'd be in big trouble. And Terry, guess what? I bless you. I give you more than you could ever imagine. And we're not talking about nearly financial or resource. There are some in this room that have incredible families. And we take those for granted, don't we? And God says, I blessed you with something amazing. and You're taking it for granted. You're missing it. And Terry, here's the thing. I treat you as a son of God. I treat you as one of my family members. And so you want to know what it means to love enemy? God showcases that because Jesus came on this earth and said, let me tell you what I'm going to really do for you. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, did Jesus really mean love your enemy and do those things? Yes, because Jesus and God does that every single day for us. Because guess what? We have sin and sin is the enemy of God. And he loves us with those seven things. Now, if you're a type A personality, you wrote those down, you're good for the day. You can go take a nap. But I'm going to attempt in the best way that I possibly can. I'm going to hopefully show you why this is so important to Jesus. And hopefully by showing you that, it'll make you understand why he does this and why we should do this even that much greater. I'm going to take you to a different story, okay? In the Bible, there is a story, and let me set the scene for all of you. Jesus Christ is hanging out, and there's a whole group of people. There's followers of Jesus all around. And there's tax collectors. There's all kinds of people. There's religious leaders who don't like Jesus very much because of the message that he's been preaching. And they're all hanging out in a circle. And in that time, there was another guy by the name of John. Don't lose me. There was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And before Jesus came, John had a bunch of people that followed him. Do you want to know why? Because John was speaking and teaching a similar message that Jesus was teaching. And here it was, very simple. Love people, hate sin. Love people, hate sin. Separate sin from the person. Love that person but hate the sin. And the reason why I can tell you this is because John the Baptist would allow the least and the most despised, despicable human beings to culture to come to him, to pour out their hearts to God, and he would baptize them. And he would love on them. The religious leaders that were hanging out here, guess what? They didn't like that very much. Do you want to know why? Religious leaders, they cared about the do's and the don'ts. Are you breaking the law? Are you doing the law? If you do the law, you're close to God. If you don't do the law, you would despise God and you're running from God. So the religious leaders kept looking at individuals and they were judging an individual based on what they did to God. What? You don't honor the Sabbath? You're despised by God. And people would walk away feeling as if God hated them because of how the religious leaders treated them every single day. But yet here comes John the Baptist saying, no, 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 you're not despised by God. You're loved by God. Now go sin no more. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene in this circle and the religious leaders are hanging out here. They're like, we got to deal with John. We just arrested John. Hopefully we can get rid of his followers. And now here's Jesus and he's saying the same message. That's the scene. 
And here's what happens. And I'm going to get to the passage. Hang with me. I know it's tough. Two disciples of John, two of John the Baptist's followers heard about Jesus. They come running over to this circle and they say, Hey, Jesus, are you the son of God? Are you the one that is spoken about by the prophet Isaiah? Are you the one that is following John? And Jesus says, Yes, I am. And the disciples run back to go find John and to tell John while he's in prison that God has sent the Son of God. That's where we're at. Now pour in and take a look at this. If you like smackdowns, if you love confrontation, if you like to see people duke it out in the Bible, get ready. Here we go. Take a look at this. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. Remember, tax collectors, religious leaders are all there. What kind of man, he's talking to the religious leaders. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? All right, religious leaders, why were you following John? What was your intent? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Guess what? The religious leaders dressed themselves up in all kinds of jewels to make themselves more prominent in front of people, which actually was a barrier to the common culture. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he's more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. Don't miss this. Hang tight. I tell you, of all who've ever lived, none is greater than John. Pause there. What he basically looked at the religious leaders say, hey, you know, religious leaders, how you condemn people because of their sin. I want you to know that you despise John because of his message. You helped put him in prison because of his message. Guess what, guys? None on this earth who's ever lived is greater than who you despise. Get ready for the smackdown. Yet even, don't miss this, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than than John. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you think, well, Terry, that was kind of cool, but all right, let's move on. There's so much here, so get ready. Jesus basically looked at these religious leaders and said, hey, by the way, John is greater than you. And by the way, even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Do you know who Jesus was actually talking about? Do you know the question that I would ask is who's the least Because Jesus came for the least. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus regarded the disregarded after what I'm about to tell you. Because he mentions the least are even greater than John, which tells you and I that, hey, Terry, you think you got it rough. I love you. And in the kingdom of God, I count you as worthy. And so what a great message to that group. But who are the least? Who is Jesus talking about? This is where it gets interesting. In biblical culture, in Jewish culture, the least were known as two different groups of people. Let me explain why. There was one group of individuals that were despised by most people in the Jewish culture. Now, you think it was the tax collectors. Well, that's one of them, but that's not the one I'm talking about. The group of individuals that were despised by Jewish culture were known as prostitutes. And being that it's a G-rated audience in this room, after I've seen around, we're going to use G-rated language in here about this. But why were prostitutes considered despised, despicable, and least by the religious leaders and by the people of the day. It's very, very simple. Most of the prostitutes in this area were Jewish. They were Jewish women trying to make money, obviously, so they could survive. Let me ask you a question. If you know the Bible, Bible study students, if you are deemed Jewish, who are you deemed Jewish by, your mother or your father? It's your mother. 
And so the individuals that would have sleepovers with the prostitutes, they were the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers would have a sleepover with the prostitute. The prostitute would become pregnant. The prostitute would have a baby. And was the baby Jewish? Yes. And so the people of Jewish culture looked at the prostitutes and despised them because they were sacrificing the legacy and the long-term growth of the Jewish people. They were watering down the Jewish culture by allowing these Italian Roman soldiers, by the way, I'm Italian, these Italian Roman soldiers to begin to take the DNA of God's people. And so prostitutes were despised and called the least of all people. That's one group. The other group, as you affectionately known, were known as tax collectors. Why were tax collectors so despised if you're new to the Bible? It's very simple. Tax collectors, who did they have to work for? The Romans and the soldiers. And they knew the people, the Jewish people, and they were the ones who would call out the Jewish families and say, they haven't paid their taxes, they're hiding things. And they would take from the Jewish people and give to the Romans. They were looked at as partners to Roman occupation. And so you talk about being a traitor, you talk about being despised. It wasn't just because they had a shady, excuse me, a shady profession. By the way, if you're a tax collector, IRS, God bless you, I appreciate your work. But it's not just because of that. It's because they also profited by Rome's gain. So when Jesus said the least are greater, he's talking about prostitutes and he's talking about tax collectors. And in essence, he looked at the religious leaders, don't miss this, and said, religious leaders, you have been the authority. You have been on top. You are the best of the best. Well, I want to tell you something. No one here is better than John. And by the way, the least in the kingdom, the least, which are going to be because they accept my message, some of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, even they are better than closer to God than you. You want to see a smackdown start? If you're taking notes, I want to write write this down. Jesus made the last first. Could you imagine if you were a tax collector in that audience? And by the way, we know there were tax collectors in that audience, and you're going to see in just a second. Could you imagine if you had been known as despised? In this room, there are some of you who know what that feels like. You know what it's like to be the outcast. You know what it's like to be made fun of. You know what it's like to make mistake after mistake after mistake and feel condemned. And there are many of you, because of the love of Jesus, you know what it feels like to go from last to first. How many of you are watching the Olympics? You ever watch the Olympics? Because I tried to think to myself, if I was in that room and I was a tax collector and I saw Jesus walk up and say, hey, even these scum tax collectors are going to be greater than these religious leaders. If I was a tax collector, man, I would feel different. If you watch the Olympics, if you watch the speed skate, the team speed skate short track, I probably have that wrong, but it's somewhere on TV. There was an amazing finish. Let me set the scene. So if you, if you, if, if you don't like preaching, but you like sports, then wake up for just a second. So there is these races going on and they're getting to the end. And basically you have two races left. You've got teams one through eight. So if you were ranked one, two, three, and four, you are racing for gold, silver, and bronze. If you're team five, six, seven, and eight, you were just having fun with one extra race just for the fun of it. So the first group, five, six, seven, and eight, go and they have this race. And the Netherlands won that race. Yay, fifth place. Isn't that wonderful? Well, in the final for the medal round, if you look on the screen, they're racing, racing, racing. South Korea, Canada, China, and Italy. 
Wow, I memorized that. They're all racing. And they're getting to the end. And South Korea, they ends up being able to withstand the fall. Falls, gets up, crosses the finish line. They beat, I believe, China and they beat Canada. But Italy ends up being last. But during that last lap, there was a huge crash as they were kind of getting up across the line. And so South Korea, at the end of the race, is skating around, and we won, and they did win. They won the gold. And so all of a sudden, China is kind of gets up, and they're skating around. We think we won silver. And then you got uh, Canada. We think we won bronze. Well, they have to go to the judges. The judges come back, and they say that Canada and China, silver and bronze, were disqualified. So they're eliminated. Which means, okay, that means Italy won silver. Well, who won bronze? The Netherlands, who came in fifth place, who weren't even in the race, are standing on the sidelines, and they look at the board, and they're like, we won the bronze! How do you win the bronze and you don't even race for it? You want to talk going from last to first? That's kind of the feeling and emotion I bet that they had. And so in that moment, you have tax collectors. In that moment, you had prostitutes around Jesus. And Jesus says, looks at the religious leaders and says, see these least? They're elevated in the eyes of God because your hearts are in the wrong place. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus did say, love your enemy, but he never said, don't make enemies. Jesus did say, love your enemy, but he never said, don't make enemies. The reason why I say that is Jesus Christ, he came And he wasn't looking to pick a fight. But Jesus came to speak truth. And because he spoke truth, those religious leaders, they don't like him very much. Those religious leaders, they thought he was a threat to their popularity. And they became enemies of Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not telling you right now, all right, Pastor Terry says, love your enemies and go make enemies. Now, it's not what I'm saying. So don't go out there and say, I like you. I'll love you, you, there's no hope for, you're going to be my enemy forever. Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm really saying is this. Take a look at this, John 3, 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. First and foremost, Jesus came to save all, even the religious leaders. He didn't want them to be their enemy, but he made them their enemy because they chose a different path. And because Jesus stood up for the unlovable, the religious leaders despised Jesus. Now, are you ready to see the response by the religious leaders? Because he just dropped a bomb in the room. Let's take a look and let's see what happens after he says that. Take a look at this. Luke 7, 29-30. When they heard this, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the religious leaders, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right. For they had been, don't miss this, baptized by John. Now, some of you who are hardcore Bible study students, you're like, well, Terry, if they're a tax collector and they don't know Jesus and they're sinning left and right and they don't care about God, you know, how can you say that they're the least and they're going to be in the kingdom of God? Because this group of people that Jesus was talking to, those tax collectors, they had been condemned by their own brethren so much, they actually in their hearts believed in the message of John and they were baptized by John. And that's why Jesus could say that. But... The Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the expert in the religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. They leave the scene, and the religious leaders look at Jesus and say, we reject you. We're going to be an enemy to what you have to teach. 
Here's the truth. We're going to make a lot of enemies in our life. Some of them we're going to make just by being who we are. Some of them we have no idea. You're going to have enemies. It's going to happen. You know, in fact, it reminds me of a story of a 100-year-old man. True story. There's a guy who lived to be 100, and he was interviewed by one of the television stations. And they said to him, they said, hey, what's your proudest accomplishment in life? And you know what he said? I have no living enemies. And they said, you got no enemies? That's amazing. How'd you do that? He goes, I outlived them all. But you know, he's wrong. And if you think that you're never going to have an enemy, you're wrong. Because way back in the Old Testament in Genesis, when Abraham, and if you don't know the Bible, Abraham was a father of the faith. He was loved by God. But the Bible actually says during that time that Abraham was a friend of God, but Abraham was an enemy of God as well. What does that mean for you and I? It means that a lot of us in this room, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you love God and every day you strive to do the right thing, you're, you're a friend of God. But at the same token, you have sin in your life and that sin is an enemy to God. And I know that every day because trust me, and let me just be transparent. I'm a pastor. I deal with hundreds and thousands of people all the time. Hundreds and thousands of people are not going to like me. There are going to be some that like me. They're going to see that love me. There are going to be some that don't care for me at all and let me know about it. Trust me. They don't like me. And the truth is, it's really easy for the human, Terry, to say, how dare you? Oh, I'm fine. Well, you're going to do that? <laughs> That's just great. Not a problem at all. I'll just prepare a message directed right at them and I'll look at them the whole time. That wouldn't be right. Most of the time. No, I'm just teasing. That wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. Because that would be vengeful. But I have to fight Terry on that. It's really difficult when an enemy attacks to fight the enemy inside and to say, I can't do that. I can't respond. I can't seek revenge. I can't retaliate. I got to love do you know one of the hardest things for me to do sometimes, and, and maybe you've found this too, is to pray for my enemies? To actually sit and with a heart to say, God, I want you to bless them. You want to talk about hard? You want to talk about fighting an enemy inside? When you try to love an enemy, guess what? There's an enemy inside that's going to pop up and to say, you ain't got a shot. There's no way you can do this. You can't follow what Jesus said. It's not cultural. It's not right. You're foolish. But you've got to fight. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down and we're going to close. We can love our enemies even while we are making them. We can love our enemies even though you make enemies. And every day, many of us unknowingly can make enemies. But you've got to love them. One of my favorite, I'm a history guy, I love history, and one of my favorite speeches came from a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. And if you went to go see the movie The Darkest Hour um, recently, um, this happens about 10 months after that whole movie and the scene of, of Dunkirk and everything. And they're, 
the way it goes is he's speaking to a college and he's talking about that hour and he's talking about all the challenges that he faced in making decisions. And if you don't know, it, it, was, it was the pivotal point where our lives would be totally different today. I truly believe if it wasn't for um, just really the leadership of Winston Churchill during that moment because it was down to, it, it was going to be done. And Winston Churchill did, I can't say the whole movie, he did amazing things, but to this group, they were asking him, what was the pivotal point for you? And I want you to, I want to read this speech that I think ties into what we talked about today. Take a look at this. But for everyone, surely what we've gone through in this period, I'm addressing myself to, to you. Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. When your enemies attack and you want to give it back, never give in. When right now you're saying, but Terry, you don't know my situation and you don't know that person and what they're doing to me. Never give in to the enemy that is fighting you inside. Because God came here and showed you what it means to love an enemy. I opened with this and I closed with it. If you love your enemy, you might gain an enemy. But never give in. Never, never, never never give in. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. And this is yours. Because Lord, you know that I wasn't going this direction. God, I pray for every person, every single adult, every student, every child that has a bully in their life. God, it's so hard to learn to love your enemy. But God, I pray that every time we picture an enemy in our mind, I pray it would be quickly replaced by the love that you give us every day. So God, I pray your blessings and may you reign in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.